You are listening to The Social Hotelier Show, a podcast that inspires hoteliers to create meaningful and memorable experiences for their customers in pursuit of their passion. We share our views and experiences relating to hospitality, technological trends, and also relating to humanity. Here is your host, Sam Eric Rutman. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Social Hotelier Podcast with me, Sam Eric Rutman. Have you ever dreamed of starting your own hotel brand or even a hotel management company? There are a number of entrepreneurs that have this dream. Even I had a dream at one time in my life, but usually we fall short of one thing. We just don't get the funding needed to get it, take it to the next level. But I have someone here in this podcast today who has able to move forward and actually he's going up for success with a, a very interesting brand. So my guest today is Chris Nader, co-founder of Envy Lodges. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, I'm Eric. It's really a pleasure being here. I listen to many of your podcasts and I'm glad to be a guest today. Well, uh, I, I was so happy that you had the time and uh, that we can make this happen. So I, I know there are so many things that we can talk about in this uh, episode and, and about your journey. And I think it will be inspiring for the listeners who are uh, in the similar journey that, that we have been or want to be. So, uh, well, let's get started. I think first for the benefit of the audience uh, to get some background, tell me about your professional journey and uh, what you've been going through until you then started uh, uh, found, uh, co-founding the Envy Lodges. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, first, you, you said something really important at the beginning is that Many have a dream and, and in, in the space and few manage to achieve it. Well, I must say we're on a journey to achieving it. We haven't achieved it yet. Uh, we're at the early stages, but we had so far, you know, good, good traction and good successes. So it's a, it's a promising uh, kind of road towards realizing uh, the dream. Um, it all started really, uh, to be able to tell you about my professional uh, life, I have to take you back to a little bit to my childhood. Uh, the f- family that I grew up in are all kind of entrepreneurs. Uh, they're all uh, hotelier and tourism professionals. Uh, and the family owned a business in tourism, which is managing uh, a beach and yacht club. So my childhood really was spent at the family uh, business. I was kind of, I requested to work in the business at quite a young age because after spending a few summers on the beach having fun, I got really attracted by how this whole business is is working. And uh, at the age of 13, I asked if I could start taking, you know, a part in this in this adventure with the family. And, you know, very illegally, they, they said yes. And I started working as a first job in the kitchen of uh, of our uh, you know uh, beach club, quite a beach club, quite a big one with yachts, etc. I was uh, you know helping with the orders in the kitchen. I was making sure that every tray that comes out of the kitchen had the right order, that the presentation of the dishes dishes were correct, etc. And um, then I got promoted to a cashier role, so I started getting interested in the accounting side of it, but it was more really, to be honest, it was more about, you know, playing with that machine at that time that has, you know, these all kind of POS systems 
that had uh, very little technology associated uh, with them. And from there, I took some other roles of Beach Boy, uh, you know, setting up the sunbeds and, and the towels. And I did some, you know, activities and, you know, sports related kind of uh, small jobs. Um, and I loved being serving people, being close to people, creating these, you know, experiences that are uh, unique, um, trying to, to please people, see their smile. And it's not always easy, you know, uh, especially on weekends, the beach is full and, you know, people complain and this doesn't go according to plan. Uh, but it's something that I loved. Um, at the right time when I was about to choose my uh, university, I said, I want to work in hospitality. And the family said, absolutely not. I said, why not? <laughs> you know, you're all in hospitality. What's wrong? And they said, look, it's a very tough industry. Uh, salaries are not good. Um, when everyone's on holidays, you're working. Uh, it's not a life, you know, go do something a bit more corporate. Go, go, you know. And, and I was like, sitting in an office sounds so boring. You know, uh, wh why? I want, I want to be in operation. I love what you guys do. At some point, we sold the business my older brother opened his own company, which is a management company of FNB, creating FNB concepts and, and, and running it and beach clubs, et cetera. So he kind of stayed in the same space and, and I was lucky enough to, to work for him. So again, working for the family again, uh, he was extremely tough on me, extremely tough as, a, as his brother. He wanted to set an example. So also I took several FNB positions at that time, uh, you know, bar, club, restaurant, beach, etc. Um, and finally, when I got to the, we reached an age uh, and financially I could decide what I wanted to do after trying several things, I decided that I wanted to do my MBA in hospitality and then I went to do it in Switzerland. And after that, you know, I had the opportunity to work with different brands and I was always attracted to something that was small, niche, uh, unique, different, and I guess it, it comes a little bit from that background of how I grew up and the type of you know operation I was used to and what I like uh, doing. And I had my career in a you know small to medium uh, groups. And during that time, I never thought that I would actually you know become an entrepreneur and and, and launch my my own company. Uh, it came almost accidentally. Um, it's not something that I planned, you know, a sequence of events led to, you know, uh, me started thinking about what I wanted to do in my career and, and COVID came at the right time for me, uh, despite, you know, all the misery that it created, uh, for me personally, it was kind of a blessing, uh, because it allowed me just to stop. Allowed me to 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 you know I was going through a hectic life. I was traveling a lot for work. I was always on a plane, going back and forth. And you get into this machine, and and it's very dif difficult for people to say, "Well, stop. Is this what I wanted to do? Is there something else that I would like to do?" Many people love it and continue in this career, but you know I stepped back a little bit, started thinking about what I want to do as a person, what company I want to be associated with, what are the values that I want to. Uh, actually have in my company and and since I was always attracted to hospitality and tourism for me it was okay what's the future of tourism where is this going what are the the trends that are shifting uh, uh, the market 
where is the accommodation space and experience space going? And COVID added an important element, you know, for the past 10, 15 years, there was this trend about experiential travel and, and you know, and, and developing responsibly in nature and all of that. But COVID, I think, allowed everyone to start realizing that actually this is where we want to be. This is where we feel, you know, uh, good as a person. And these are the type of environment that we want to experience. So when you put all these ingredients together, this is how Envy Lodges was born. And it was really overnight that I decided, look, I don't want to do a corporate job anymore. Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start working on it. And, you know, one thing led to another. I started, you know, thinking about the idea and the business plan. Then I brought the idea to my co-founder, Noel, who was working at a consulting firm. Um, and I said, this is what I want to do. Uh, I think both of us would, would, would work great together. Are you interested? She said, yes, please. I love it. And we started creating the brand together. Uh, and this is how really it started. Oh, wonderful. I mean, um, <clears throat> so did it help you? Uh, in what way did it help you that you grew up in the environment, in, in uh, the hospitality, if you will? I mean, the, the service side of things where you... Uh, because I can relate to what you're talking about, that you want to serve people. Uh, in the Finnish culture, uh, it, it doesn't sound very good, it doesn't sound very well when you said that you're serving some, because in here in this culture is that, that you are below somebody. I mean, and I never took it as a, as a, as a that I'm below anyone. I'm just making, want to make them happy. That was basically naively thinking what I did. So how was it for you? Yeah, it was very similar. First of all, I grew up in an environment that came out of a, of a civil war for many years. So I was not exposed to understanding how businesses are set up, how, you know, corporations work. Uh, you know, at that time, technology was inexistent. Uh, communication was limited. And all I knew is what actually we had as, as a business. And, and for me, it was seeing the smile on people's faces when they're somewhere chatting together, socializing, enjoying their time and thinking, well, we are giving them the ingredients for them to actually have fun and, and enjoy their moment. And it became for me really uh, uh, something, you know, uh, kind of obvious that if I had the chance to choose what I wanted to do, it would be to continue to put smile on people's faces. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sharing actually the same feeling like you, because I, when I started my career, uh, I want to just to, I didn't look at I didn't see it as a job. Uh, you know, one of the things that reminds me is that uh, a good friend of mine wh whom I have uh, once in a while episode, we talk about uh, uh, why we got into this industry. And my friend, Mark, he says he liked good food and traveling. Okay. I also like good food, but I also like to be in an environment where people actually came for a good time and I enjoy watching them uh, and kind of learning from them how what makes their life pleasurable for the moment they are in a hotel or, or somewhere else. And so I, I, I kind of soaked in this, uh, this kind of, these kind of uh, vibes from, from these people and I thought, well, this is something, I like that, that atmosphere and I like to continue do and then when my career evolved to doing different things. Essentially, it was still the same feeling I had from the moment when I even was serving uh, uh, flamed coffees or 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 checking in people or whatever I was doing. I, I still had that same 
inspiration why I did it, not because of I looking for a big tip or something. I, I think the smile that was the tip I was always looking for. Yeah, no, 100%. But again, as, as you grow up and you start experiencing brands and hotels, you know, I used to spend about 180, 190 days uh, away, you know, sleeping in hotels most of the time. Um, there are obviously hotels that are completely commoditized where, you know, no matter how hard you try, it's difficult to put a smile on someone on your guest's face because, you know, they don't want to talk to anyone. All they care about just, you know, check me in, get me to my room. I have to go to my meeting. I come back, I shower, I sleep and I leave. You know, no matter how smiley the reception is, there's it really doesn't 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 worry. And then you have the other extreme where these brands and, and individual hotels who have developed their concept and their identity completely around providing an experience and and i found this fascinating when i was growing up to see how they're able to achieve this and why the others are not and has to do with many factors type of business you attract the 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 environment in which you are you know are you in a tall tower or are you in a boutique resort in provence on on, on you know uh, next to vineyards and many things affect that but at, at the end of the day, what I wanted to do with my company is, is to, to really create uh, a brand that does offer this smile generally by just allowing people to be in an environment that gives them that smile naturally without you really forcing anything onto them. Yeah. So it means that you are, uh, there's a culture that you have developed with Noel into and with the, and the team uh, for Envy Lodges, which is basically essentially that spirit that where you came from, then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and you know we're lucky enough with the company to be to be uh, uh, to have access to unique sites in nature, uh, to uh, to be in amazing sites where someone wakes up, you know, gets out of their tent and sees this amazing view of the valley or or whatever it is, or you're on the beach. Uh, we just announced a project in in Oman uh, where you know we're gonna have tents on an amazing beach virgin beach you have turtles and dolphins and 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 all of that so being able to offer these experiences to our guests by having you know good service good food sustainable values and 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 this opportunity to be in that environment which is not given to to many people um i think this is really uh, what we would like to achieve yeah being an entrepreneur is, is a different thing than working for somebody. Uh, what are the main attributes you need to have as an entrepreneur? What are the sort of the hard lessons you have learned from the time you started? All right. Um, look, I, I listen to many podcasts about, about entrepreneurs and founders and CEOs. And, and usually these guys have already 10, 15, 20 years of experience being an entrepreneur. They sold already two, three businesses. They're multimillionaires and, and happy. And, and they tell you about their stories. Um, you know, we're, we're at the very early of our story. We're only two years old, two years and a half old. So I can't pretend to be, to have the truth and the answers to, to everything. But so far in the short period of time, we learned valuable lessons, you know, uh, Noel, myself, uh, Paul, our head of operation are all kind of started the company from scratch. Um, we are all first time entrepreneurs. So it's something that we all had to, uh, learn as we go. And I think the number one, I guess, um, 
virtue that you should have, because these are virtues uh, from the Stoics, is, is really the courage, okay? Uh, if you go a little bit funny, you'll say you have to be crazy to do it. Uh, you need courage because you said something at the beginning, many people have dreams. And you said some people are not able to raise money. Well, the fact that they're not able to raise money means they already thought of the dreams. They had the courage to actually say, let me try it. They put a business plan together. They went on to the investment community and unfortunately did they raise money. Already this required a lot of courage and, and, and this is really amazing that you have reached that stage because obviously many people fail to raise funds, as you said. But many people just keep it as a dream. They say, oh, I would love to do this. But then they don't have time because they're hectic life, because they don't want to take the risk, because of their you know, personal situation, because of the pressure they have at work, because of so many different factors that stays up there. And I think the first thing that you should have is the courage to say, I want to do this. I want to try it. Yes, there are risks associated with it, but you know, I might regret my entire life if I haven't at least tried to reach to that fundraising stage. And I failed and it's fine, but at least I tried and I have no regrets. Um, for me, it was, it was courage because as a person, I'm someone who jumps into things and then plans on how to achieve it. Many people plan a lot and then decide if they want to jump. And no, I jump first and then I see what do I do, you know? How do I swim? How do I reach the shore? I'll, I'll figure it out as we go. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll, I'll face big waves and I'll drown a bit and I stand up again and I continue swimming. But it's, it's really about let's figure it out as we go. So jumping was the first kind of uh, step. Yeah, I, I have... Uh... Learn from my personal experience that uh, uh, unless it's totally out of uh, uh, out of what I believe in, I usually say yes because I know I will figure out how to do something later on, and it has uh, evolved in many ways that I, I do different things that I never thought about doing. Uh, but I've never been afraid to to jump into the unknown or going to a place I've never been to. Uh, and that makes sort of something when I. Anytime I look back when people say, oh, amazing career, you've been traveling all over the world. But I just say that I, I was so curious. Curiosity was maybe the, maybe the biggest uh, uh, yeah. reason I, I did what I did. And I think you must also have that curiosity uh, and to see what's, what's behind the next door, if you will. True, true. No, absolutely. And, and I was also you know, very lucky to have Noel jump with me, although Noel is my, is my opposite. And, and this is great in terms of finding a balance with your co-founder. She, she likes to plan everything and then you know, uh, moves forward. So I think we find there's a nice balance between the two of us and both of us jumped. But once you jump, the second thing that you need, uh, in my opinion, is discipline. Um, discipline in the sense of perseverance, discipline in the sense of, you know, uh, not diverting for what you're meant to do, trying to uh, avoid the distractions that can come with being an entrepreneur. There is a lot of focus that has to remain in, in achieving your, you, you know, your, your vision and, and staying on the road. And when you jump, there are so many things that can go wrong that, you know, you start diverting left, right and center. So the discipline to continue 
going, the discipline to actually uh, uh, stay focused and control your emotions, control control the factors, the external factors that come to disrupt actually where you're supposed to do. Um, that discipline is very difficult to acquire. And sometimes in moments of weakness, you, 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 you lose that discipline. And it's, you know, either someone has to tell you to go back on track or you have to realize it by, by yourself. But these are the two things that you need. And, and the discipline keeps you going because it's very easy to give up. It's very easy to give up. The first obstacle you have, some people would say, oh, this is too hard. You know, I, I don't want to do it. Let me go back to my corporate life. And these moments came numerous times. And you know, sometimes you're, you're, you're awake all night thinking of, why am I doing this? Why am I punishing myself? You know, I had a you know, comfortable life. I, was, you know, I knew what was happening. I had no uh, financial worries. It was kind of, I was, I was okay. And these moments of weakness uh, are, are frequent. And, and maybe you know, uh, founders and entrepreneurs don't talk uh, about it uh, a lot, but at least you know, on the many podcasts that I listen to, I think this is something that is coming up more and more. So say, look, it's difficult. You're going to have moments of weakness. You're going to want to abandon everything. Just, you know, drop, drop all of that headache and, 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 and change your, um, remove that stress and go back to your life. And you always need someone to help you in that process. Yeah. Well, that, has, that is actually what I was going to say that you must have somebody that you can, that you don't keep it inside yourself, everything of those emotions, but you can share, share it with somebody because that will make, then you can actually resolve many issues that they're not as serious as you thought and and uh, the, the emotions of feeling weak at the moment is natural for everyone but i always believe that you have to have somebody who can share th- those moments with that you can then resolve it in in a way through talking or something uh, the worst thing is to keep it locked up inside your brain that means you have many sleepless nights yeah 100 percent. looks some people feel comfortable sharing this with their partner uh, in life uh, with their family other people are kind of more like to keep things for themselves, to shield the family from the stress. There are pros and cons in both, depending on who you are as a person and how you deal with stress. But I think what you said, uh, I think applies the most when you have a co-founder. And I think, you know, Noel and I always encourage uh, entrepreneurs who come and talk to us, say, look, well, what do you recommend we do? I said, number one, find a co-founder because sharing Sharing the stress, uh, sharing the worries, having someone to 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 listen to, you know, to talk to, and the other person really being a good listener, uh, giving you a different perspective. I think two people are always, you know, I, I find founders that are two uh, have a more balanced approach to to their business uh, than than single founders. Yeah, yeah. How do you see the? This uh, the journey that you are on. Uh, how does it impact your your personal life? Oh, <laughs> should invite my wife to the podcast. Maybe she will tell you. <laughs> I'm sure I can hear from her. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it affects your your life quite a lot, and I have to 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 warn you know uh, aspiring entrepreneurs that first of all it depends on which at which age they want to do this, at which stage of their life they're at, you know, do they have a family, do they have children, uh, what is their financial situation? Um, 
many things will determine how impacted your personal life will be. Mine, mine was quite, quite impacted on many fronts. I think the first one on the family side, naturally, you stop, you start putting your business first because, you know, if you're doing this as your main purpose, not as a side hobby, some people with a lot of money do many businesses on the side to have fun. But if this is your main bread and butter, your main business, you know, you, you, you think that you cannot fail. You have to succeed because this is what you want to do. And you put 300% into this thing that will actually allow you to realize your dream and also hopefully financially it will support your family. So you do it for yourself, for your own personal gratification and self-fulfillment, but you also do it to provide for your, for your family uh, eventually. And by putting, giving all your time to your business, you know, your, your family feels it and it, 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 it affects uh, how you're spending quality time with them. Because unfortunately, even when you're with your family, your mind keeps thinking about your business. You're physically there, but mentally you, you often, you know, wander away and wander off in, in different direction. So finding that balance is crucial. And I think this is the, the, the number one advice that I give also to, to people is that, you know, if you have a family, you have a partner, you have kids, you have, this is the most important thing that you have. So please spend quality time with them. Make sure you give them their, your attention. Nothing is more important than the time you spend with your, with your loved ones. And, and yeah. you know, with, with my kids, I had to have the discipline of when I'm spending time with them, not to have my phone with me. So I yeah. put it in one room and I go, I play with them because otherwise I, at the beginning, I used to see myself taking my phone every two minutes, checking if there was an email, answering a WhatsApp message. Uh, and you know, this is not, this is not how you want your, your kids to see you also. They will, you know, you have to live the moment. They will copy you. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have a sentence here. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I have this calendar, which has for every day, some inspiring words. And it says, Today, we are, we are recording this in, uh, uh, today when we are recording, this has a, yesterday was our habits decide our character. And for today, we have our character determines our destination. Does it resonate to you in any way? Um, yeah, in the sense that as, as a person, I'm, I'm someone who, who likes challenges, who likes adventures, who likes to try things. And, you know, I'm... Um, uh, I love, I like the adrenaline side. I've always been, you know, uh, uh, attracted to extreme sports and, and, you know, some dangerous, uh, sports. And I've, when I was a kid, I used to be fascinated by everything that has to do with, with the, the extreme side and, and that personality of daring and jumping and having the courage, I guess these are the personality traits that encouraged me to, to, to go on this adventure uh, with all the risks that it takes. Um, we're not saying that where we are today is, is, is you know, it's, it's promising, but we, uh, you know, we can still fail. There are still many obstacles along the way. Uh, we don't know which turn this is gonna, gonna take, but, you know, we're working very hard to make sure that we stay on track. And at the moment, we're very proud to say that from our growth plans, we are on track. Uh, we are getting ready to open our first few projects. We have more in the pipeline in negotiation. We're growing our team. Um, you know, we're receiving interest from investors. 
because that space is fascinating for them. So it's promising, but you know, still a long way ahead. Okay. Well, let's talk about, you mentioned the word investors, oh. so that means about raising <laughs> capital. So what is it like to raise capital in the, in the current environment? Or what is it like to just uh, uh, get the investor listening to you and with that, the pitch you give them and, and get them on your side and get things started? You know, when we decided to start raising funds from investors, it was the time where the tech world was booming. You would seeing crazy valuations on a PowerPoint idea. You would seeing hundreds of millions of dollars being raised in a blink of an eye for, for technology, uh, you know, during the, the COVID time, it was, it was just unbelievable. Uh, so, you know, at that time we thought, oh, it's going to be easy to raise money because everyone's raising money. But it was actually very specific for the tech world. And we're not a tech company and uh, I don't want to be a tech company. Uh, so, uh, so we said, okay, let's try to raise money. And, and then we quickly realized that it's not about, you know, the fact that you're a tech company or not. It's about the sustainability values and who, and who we are as a company and what we represent in terms of communities, in terms of nature, in terms of the sexy product that we want to create. Uh, all of these points resonated with investors and, and we're actually very blessed to be able to raise money quite rapidly, uh, despite the fact we're not a tech company. So we saw that there was an interest in the investment community in, in that space. Uh, however, I must say that depending on where you are as a founder and where you are trying to raise money, things can look very different. Uh, I, have a, I have a friend, a founder in Europe, who's trying to raise, uh, you know, 100,000 euros for her startup. And where, where I am today, which is, you know, the GCC, and we're based in Dubai, between Saudi Arabia and, and the UAE, $100,000 is the equivalent of raising maybe, you know, uh, for, for, for investors, I mean, it's of maybe $10,000 somewhere else. Uh, these are not big tickets. Hundred thousand dollars is, is, you know, it's, it's easy to raise. But for some some reason in Europe, it's a huge amount. And and this founder struggles a lot in Europe to be able to raise money from European investors, especially given the current climate today, with you know, with the inflation and the interest rates and and all of that, uh, they tighten the screws even more. Um, but if you're trying to raise money from capital that is in different markets, like here in the Middle East. You have the right idea, you have the right team, you have the right network. Um, you can raise money more easily than in other places. Yeah. Uh, are there, uh, being my, I've been in Dubai and, and Middle East for a while also, um, there are a number of like a family offices that has a kind of long-term vision to investments. Are those the kind of offices that you that you're uh, looking at to invest with, or or what kind of investors are you talking with? Just to understand the the different kinds of uh, investors that are in uh, in the in the playfield. Yeah, uh, look, it depends on your company, of course, and and who you are, and and you you, you attract a certain type of investors depending on what you're trying to to raise for. Uh, I think for us, it was really from the beginning, it was very clear that what we wanted to do is raise money from high net worth individuals and family offices, uh, because what we do is a long-term business, you know, uh, a hotel brand takes time. Uh, it takes, it takes, you know, uh, 
you know someone who's here in it for the for the long long term it's not something that you it's not a technology you develop in a couple of months then you have a minimum valuable product that you market and that you test and you start marketing producing you know you generated your money in 2 3 years then investors can exit this is more the profile of you know the vcs out there the 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 big sharks that want to put a lot of money but also eat your company and eat you eat you with it for us um developing lodges takes time uh less than hotels but still it takes time you know reaching stability in terms of operation and cash flows also takes time it's a we wanted to be a global brand from the beginning you know some companies start with one lodge somewhere open and run it for 3 4 years and they see it successfully say oh let me add the second one and then 3 4 years later let me add the third one we had the bold uh kind of uh idea to say actually no we can start with 7 8 from the beginning open them more or less within a certain period of time and then grow more and 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 more so we needed investors that see this as a long term business so the profile of the investors you're trying to attract differs greatly depending on you know the industry in which you are and and the company that that you're trying to to build how is it to raise uh, uh raise funds in in europe i mean you have done some some of that how is it com- comparable to to let's say gcc so f- raising funds for the project is quite interesting it, it it's uh, uh a completely different way of doing things between uh between the middle east and uh, africa and and europe it is more difficult to raise funds in europe because you have to go to in our business to very specific families who care about the environment who have access to unique sites that are often protected areas whether they're forests or or agricultural land um uh, it takes patience especially when many of those areas don't have a tourism kind of uh permits so changing the usage of a land takes a lot of time in europe i mean i have an example currently in france where to you know get a certain land you have to go speak to the mayor and the mayor will tell you well can't change the zoning until i'm reelected in 3 years because otherwise it will look like i'm doing something wrong like am i going to wait 3 years for you to be maybe reelected and get that you know it it makes no sense but the advantage you have in europe is that the european union and the various entities related to it from a financial standpoint offer many many subsidies for ecotourism and eco projects and and it's really they're, they're just grants they give you 2 millions a year 5 millions a year 3 millions a year because you're reaching certain levels of sustainability because you're develop you know you're supporting the local communities because you're building with a sense of place you're using certain materials your your energy consumption is within their norms and all of that so this is something that other parts of the world don't have so that's that's an advantage um in the past banks in europe used to give you a very attractive interest rates for these project now it's getting more expensive contrary to the middle east where you know debt was always more expensive than than europe so you can see many project in this part of the world that actually don't have debt uh some of the project are pure cash equity from from the investors so you know quite quite different stories that we have to adapt every time we go to a new continent of course <clears throat> so for our listeners there are some my last count about over 1000 hotel brands in in the world 
and there are these legacy brands, there's the lifestyle brands, and uh, and of course there are certain brands that are owned by the usual suspects, the you know the large corporate who uh, uh, want to see they see a new new opportunity for business, so they create a brand or they buy another <laughs> brand. Could you speak a little bit about the DNA of Envy Largest and how you stand out compared to those big players who have uh, 45 brands and they just kind of dish them out as uh, according to what people are looking for? Yeah, you know, it, it goes back a little bit also to the earlier comment we made about uh, commoditizing accommodation versus providing experiences, being standard versus being lifestyle, um, being a business model versus leisure. But even within those kind of bubbles, um, it is... It was very rare, actually, to find a brand that really stands out. Uh, you only had very few of them, and uh, and I was always attracted to them because really you can see they have a strong DNA and, and strong positioning. Um, recently, there has been really an acceleration in the lifestyle kind of hotels, and I'm using the word not in the generic sense that everyone thinks they're a lifestyle hotel, but there is today uh, one group specifically who understood how to deliver a certain experience and lifestyle within their hotels. And I think they're doing a fantastic job. But for us, it wasn't about reinventing the wheel, right? Our main inspiration, what the, what the safari tents, what the safari experiences on how in Africa, they were able to offer these immersive experiences where people are in nature, nature is inside their tent. Uh, and, and while still offering luxury amenities, comfort and being sustainable, being very responsible uh, of, of their operation. So, you know, through through one or two experiences and discussions, and I experienced something similar in Switzerland 12, 12 years ago, um, and then we had something here in the UAE, we realized that, wait a minute, why is this limited to the, the game and, and safari field? Why aren't we able to export this more rapidly around the world? Because today, guess this is how they want to go to, on their holidays. This is how they want to experience a certain culture, a certain environment, being immersed in that environment while being also uh, responsible in their travel. They want to know that this brand is operating responsibly, is building responsibly. So for us, there was a opportunity to tap into the market that is completely untapped. There are very, very few groups like us today out there are focusing solely on, on the space. And the more we discover this group, the more we get excited. We love having more brands like us coming into the market because this, this should be the future. You know, we should stop building concrete jungles and, and, and be more responsible when we're in an outside urban environment. So, uh, so, so for us, it was just bringing all these ingredients together and saying, okay, we want to develop this type of ecology management company and, and brand that can be in a desert, on the mountain, in a forest, on a farm, on the beach, that offers, you know, tented products, that offers modular kind of cabins and construction methods that are low impact, or very alternative kind of pods, tree houses, etc. And we don't want to be in the safari space because actually the world needs this everywhere. So let's let's do an agritourism experience. Let's do an adventure experience. Let's do an environmental experience. Let's do wellness-related uh, retreats. So this is really how it all started. And you can clearly see both the investors 
and the potential guests, because we haven't opened yet, and the potential guests, how immediately they connected with us, uh, with the brand. Uh, the type of messages we receive on LinkedIn, the type of messages we receive on Instagram, the number of CVs we receive of people wanting to work with such a brand. And it's, it's really heartwarming. And I think, you know, it's really promising for us to know that the moment we start opening, we're going to be able to attract a certain community of people that think like us and really can't wait for us to open our first few lodges. So we're looking at getting the Envy Lodge junkies developed in the future. So you have that crew who follow you wherever you open a new new property. We hope so. We hope so. We have some, some yeah. amazing brands managed to create that and we look up to them. And hopefully we can do our own uh, journey by having this community supporting us as well. Just, uh, I mean, you're just in, in the beginning of your, your development or your journey with the uh, different properties. Uh, who, do you, who do you see are your... The, your uh, the, the travelers who will be staying with you. I mean, there are certain brands or who developed the, the African safari experience. Their main market came from U.S. Uh, but how, how, where do you see your uh, customers traveling from? Yeah, we we believe that a brand like ours offers uh, experiences and properties that everyone wants to, you know, go to and experience. So, uh, we believe that from a leisure standpoint. Uh, hopefully more and more brands like us, and, and there are some existing ones today, uh, should be the go-to brand when it comes to going on holidays, going, you know, in nature, etc. We believe that depending on where you are, it's going to be always an international clientele. There's no age difference. There is no, whether you're a family or a couple, whether you're at your corporate retreat, whether it's your wellness retreat with, you know, uh, we really cater to to everyone now. Of course, not at every price point. Uh, within within Envy, we segmented the brand to target three positionings, and each positioning is defined by what we call a ring. So we have single ring lodges, double ring lodges, and triple ring lodges. Each ring defines size of the facilities, the number of the facilities, uh, the various experiences that you can find, and also because of you know, how we want to position it, the investment in the project and the room rate that we're going to charge will evolve according to the ring. We're still in the luxury space. Luxury for us is a completely different than luxury from the big boys that, that you know. Uh, we see luxury completely differently. But if you look at room rate, we are in the luxury space. So we attract people who can afford, you know, Four five hundred dollars up to a thousand dollar kind of uh, experience, uh, but also there is a huge opportunity for the others to do the same in the in the lower space as well. And and yeah. you have some great brands in the U.S. and and elsewhere who are doing it. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't know if this uh, topic will fit into what you're doing, but the technology uh, technology has evolved quite a bit in in the in the industry. And the uh, hotels have, um, when we're talking about sort of these, the hotel structures, they have their self check-ins and have a lot of apps and so on to provide the service uh, to the customers and so on. Uh, in fact, it has a meaning becoming less of a human contact. Uh, what, is, what is your take on, on the, uh, from one extreme where hotel companies did not want to get any technology, they resisted it and they're behind the curve and now uh, COVID came and now suddenly uh, we have every single kind of technology that is available to the point that uh, we don't talk to a person anymore, but it's an automated 
app who uh, or a bot who answers gives you the standard uh, text that you didn't want to hear, but it's anyway there. What, what is your give? Give me your heartfelt uh, feeling about this. Look, I I, I think ninety five percent of the people that you interview would say, oh yeah, technology for us is very important. We're looking at AI and doing this, we're doing that and this technology and we're gonna, everything would be robot and, and this is great. And you know, there are some companies trying to see how much uh, uh, technology can replace actually uh, humans at all levels of, of the organization in a hotel. It's quite, uh, it's quite interesting. And I think there is this, people have, feel the pressure to say, yeah, I'm embracing technology and, and, and this is great. Um, we use technology where it's efficient for our business, uh, either through for distribution or really to facilitate communication within our employees between or between the guests with our employees, etc. cetera. Um, but we're not, a, as I said at the beginning, we're not a tech-driven company. We live so much in a tech-driven world that when I go on holidays with my family or with my friends, I want to disconnect from that technological world. I want to, when I'm in nature, I want to disconnect from my phone. I want to go on my yoga class in the morning. I want to do my walk in the afternoon. I want to see the sunset with the dolphin on a, on a boat. I want... I want to you know, read a book, just be in, in, you know, in my plunge pool and, and enjoy the environment, listen to animals. I want to speak to the local communities, learn something. And, and all of this, where, how we operate in our uh, lodges, and don't forget, we're not on a 1,000 square meter plot. You know, we're on 200, 300, one, 1 million square meter plots. Uh, uh, you need, you need you know, our, our employees to be present. You need to... to to help guests integrate with the local communities. They need to know that our hosts are there to actually help them to explain things. You want to have that human interaction. So we use technology smartly, um, but we, we want people to disconnect from it when they come to an NV Lodge. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I can see that that's basically what people are more and more getting, they want to have a holiday where they can disconnect from that technology. Um, and uh, I remember a few holidays where I was on the phone all the time rather than enjoying my holiday. And I, I heard about it from the family quite often. <laughs> and, and I have some regrets about it for the rest of my life, believe me. But uh, uh, I was just thinking then, uh, yeah, the, the technology should be kind of a smart technology that serves the purpose rather than than being a self-fulfillment that you have that. You mentioned the word community. How do you embrace the community in that area? Let's say you're going to be in Oman or in other areas. Uh, what, is the role, what is the community involvement to provide in a way, in a way they're providing an experience for the guests who are staying in that area where you have your lodges? Yeah, look, um, we are currently in starting the pre-opening of a few of our lodges. So these conversations have started. We are already looking, for instance, in our project in Zanzibar on how to buy certain products and OSNE elements from the local community. We identified a few 
organizations that, that do certain items that we would like to buy from them, some bathroom amenities that are organic, done by locals. Uh, we look at different also local businesses in terms of recycling, in terms of providing some solutions, um, working with local farmers. So, so all of these get, get developed depending on the location where we are, uh, you know, uh, in Oman working with local tour guides to take you through the, uh, the amazing sites of Jabal Akhdar, for instance, where we signed uh, a project there. So it's giving priority to the locals around us to give them uh, opportunities to, to work, to buy products from us, from them. And of course, also to hire as much as possible uh, in, in our lodge, because at the end of the day, if you want to really discover uh, the culture of a, of a country or the culture of even the place where you are uh, at the lodge, you need to interact with the locals and you can't have foreign staff everywhere. Otherwise, you're completely, you know, uh, disconnected from it. So, so uh, you know, having, you know, a farmer telling you about, you know, uh, stories about the local guide, etc. These are the things that we would like to bring as much as possible, and and then we have also different initiatives where we want to improve the life of the local communities where we work. Uh, we have some programs for uh, a kids project in Oman that we're, we will be contributing to. We're doing something also similar in in Zanzibar, which. You know, it's a beautiful island. Some of the resorts are extremely beautiful and expensive and nice. But then, you know, uh, pe people, you know, live in a certain poverty that is quite shocking to many tourists to come. And, and you know, we need to be able to support uh, these people where we are. So the community element is important. And we think for Envy, we think community comes before the environment. I'll tell you why. That's someone, someone told me also this two years ago, and at the beginning, it took time for me to accept it, and I realized he was, he was true, a, a very wise person in, in Egypt, a businessman. And he said, if you don't look after the people who live on the land, if they're hungry, if they don't want to feed their kids, then they're going to try to abuse from that environment as much as possible. If you have fishermen who need to eat, they're going to fish any fish that comes. It doesn't matter if it's an endangered species or not. They need to feed their kid. Uh, if they need to cut the trees because they want to you know, take the wood to build something or to, to burn it for, for, they're not going to care about the environment because it's about survival. So before caring about the environment, care about the people that live in that environment, and you will see how naturally they will start caring about that place. So, and this is how we really look at our engagement with the community. Yeah, I mean, I changed my, uh, I always had sort of a definition of hospitality. I always thought about this and I asked people what their definition of hospitality is. And really my definition of hospitality is, is community. It used to be customer is king. Well, that's when I started as a receptionist <laughs> hundred years ago, but uh, now it's, <laughs> it's community. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's. You know, hospitality has evolved so much over the last, you know, 30, 30 years. And, uh, you know, I think even these types of training methods about the customer's king has, has, has evolved. And, and today people choose a brand, choose a company because of what they represent, how they treat their employees, how they treat the local communities, how they treat the environment. And, and they don't want you to, to treat them as kings all the time. They want you to treat the environment in which you are as, as the king. You, at the end of the day, you're a guest on this land. 
and you have to behave in an ethical way. And I think this is why people will start choosing more and more brands like us and others that exist out there, which are doing extremely well. And I'm so happy to see this, this movement increasing year on year. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, I'm really happy for you that uh, the, I think you had, uh, I think timing has been on your side in many ways. And then also, I think uh, uh, people, uh, the way of thinking, I think uh, in one way, the COVID was a little bit of a uh, shocking people system, but people forget very easily. But the time when uh, when the COVID started, when things got get very quiet, but also uh, you want to have you know this kind of a after COVID, what we call the revenge travel. They want to travel to faraway places and experience things that they never experienced before. So I think yeah, that fits in many ways uh, the, the kind of uh, experience that uh, Envy Lodges can provide and, and the other brands who are uh, providing these u- unique unique places and they, that people can appreciate and, and also the kind of way give back to that community that lives here. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. However, I must say I'm a bit worried about people's ability to quickly forget uh, and I think, I think after spending two years in lockdown and people realizing how, you know, nature is important and sustainability and wellness and the impact that we're doing on the environment, we're in 2023 going into 2024 and you can see already some of the old habits, uh, coming back, uh, very rapidly or in terms of construction, in terms of, of pollution of the industrial, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the promises that the world leaders have set in terms of climate change uh, have already shifted very rapidly within two years. You know, there was this date achieving that. Now it's a date 10 years later achieving less. And then it keeps, you know, uh, changing. And there are some factors beyond our control that that affect this. There's economic realities, political realities, and, and all of that. But that's why I say if more hospitality professionals and companies uh, focus on what we're trying to achieve, I think it will, it will keep reminding people of how important nature is and, and how to, to live these unique experiences and how to you know, uh, discover other communities and increase tolerance and, 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 and well-being. I think these are all important elements that we need to promote. Uh, so, you know, encouraging aspiring entrepreneurs to join us on this journey. Very good, Chris. I think that's a good, we can end this uh, episode uh, on, on this high note. Now, if uh, people who are interested uh, to learn more about Envy Lodges, uh, where, where can they find you and where can they find Envy Lodges uh, digitally? We're, we're quite active on LinkedIn. Uh, some people say too much, <laughs> too active. <laughs> But you can easily find us, myself and Noel, on, on LinkedIn. Uh, we answer you know, many messages. We're, we're present uh, there. There's our Instagram account for Envy Lodges. And you know, please feel free to reach out if, if you have questions. And uh, we'd love to start welcoming you in our lodges uh, at the end of next year. Very good, Chris. Thank you very much. And also for all the viewers and, and the listeners, when you reach out to Envy Lodges, please put uh, tag the social hotelier in that message. So then we know that you, where you heard about Envy Lodges. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sam Eric, for this lovely chat. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
Thanks for joining us this week on The Social Hotelier Show. Make sure to visit our website, thesocialhoteliershowblueberry.net, where you can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or via RSS, so you never miss a show. While you're at it, if you find value in this show, we appreciate a rating in Apple Podcasts. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that will help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.